please, in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians in the chapter 2. Uh, 1 Corinthians in the chapter 2, um, we're turning to the verse 6. Now, as I mentioned on Sunday, I must confess that it hadn't initially been my intention uh, to preach through the book of 1 Corinthians. However, having covered the first chapter and entered into the second chapter during the summer months, I personally felt that it made sense to continue through the book in our normal expository style, verse by verse, as we seek to do each week. And of course, we began uh, this year, the year of 2023, in the first Lord's Day, considering the call to be holy, with our motto text of the year being the First Corinthians chapter 1 and the verses 5 to 7. And that was that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses a church in this letter that was out of order and that was wayward and they were divided. And he firstly called for them to be holy. And you know, it's a reminder for us in the 21st century to examine ourselves and to check that we're not compromising in the age that we live in. And then over these last two studies, we continued through chapter 1, and we thought about how the Church of Christ are called into fellowship. Here was a divided church, and Paul reminded them, well, you're not to be divided, you're to be united in Christ, you're to be united around the cross alone, you're to be united around Christ alone, and you're to elevate the gospel alone in your fellowship. And then last time that we visited 1 Corinthians, we thought about our calling to be wise. And not that wisdom of the world, uh, but the wisdom that's found in the preaching of the gospel. And tonight we continue on that theme. Uh, and we think of how we're to understand God's will and wisdom and how it's revealed to us. And we're thinking of this title, The Wisdom of God. Or if you want a slightly longer title, Understanding the Wisdom of God. And Paul, he reminded the Corinthians, it wasn't through his enticing words that he preached by which they were saved. But it was the power and work of the Spirit of God who had convicted them of sin that had led to their salvation. Charles Swindle writes this. He says, Only the simplicity of the gospel, applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit, can humble people and lead them to renounce worldly ways and embrace the way, the truth, and the life. We're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to read from the verse 6, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. And this is the word of the Lord, and it reads, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained, ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 
For what a man knoweth, the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the world, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. The story's told about two preachers in London. And when people heard one of them, they would have left saying, what a great preacher that man is. But then when people went to hear the other preacher, the people would leave that congregation saying, what a wonderful saviour. And that's really the key to the opening verses of chapter 2 that we considered the last time. The people, when they were saved in Corinth, didn't go away saying, Paul's a great preacher. They left saying, what a wonderful saviour. And as we present the gospel to a world who are interested in intellect, it's not the system of Christianity that needs to be taught to the world. Many people think that Christian morals and principles will convince, convince those who are intellectual. But it's not a religious system that people need. It's Christ that people need. And Paul, when he had originally came to Corinth, he had just voluntarily left Athens. Having not established a church in Athens, it's the only place that we read where Paul voluntarily left. The other places he was thrown out, or he was put into prison. But Athens was the only place where Paul had decided to leave himself. And as he left, his concern was, as he approached the city of Corinth, how am I to convince these very intellectual people of Christ being the only answer to life's problems? And Paul, he's already discouraged, and now he arrives in this great city of orators, and this great city of debaters, and rather than rise in debates, Paul began with a person. And Paul, when he came, he focused on the message of the gospel, and he preached it in all its simplicity, and the church was born, and lives were changed. You see, Paul said in verse 3 of chapter 2, I was with you in weakness and in much fear. He was coming to Corinth in fear. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words. He says, you're a bunch of orators and great debaters. I couldn't rise to that. You would tie me in knots. And he goes on and he says, um, um, verse 4, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God. And the important verse is verse 2. He says, I determined 
not to know anything among you. He didn't preach a system, he preached a man. I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You might be intellectual. You might be great orators. You might be great debaters. I'm not going to rise to your debate and how clever you are. I'm going to tell you about a man that can change your life. I'm going to tell you about a man that died for you. I'm going to tell you about a man who loves you, who is alive today, and he went to the cross for you, and you can say all you want, he says, but I'll tell you about a man who changed my life. He met me on the road to Damascus, and he changed my life completely. I was a religious man, he says. I was a man who knew all about the religion. I knew all about the Old Testament. But the Lord Jesus met me on the way. And he changed my life. Dear brethren and sisters, tonight you may feel inferior to others who may challenge you, the Bible, intellects, and maybe people a little bit like the people in Corinth. And people who come with their intellectual arguments. But you know, there's something that intellect can never argue with. And it's a changed life. So let the intellects come and argue the gospel from their worldly logic. And let them come with their worldly philosophy. But no one can ever deny the evidence that the gospel changes people's lives for the better. And that the gospel works. Paul says to the Corinthian church in verse 4, You saw a visible demonstration of the power of the Spirit. You know, this can be applied to all areas of our lives. When the children leave the children's work and youth work in this church fellowship, do they leave thinking about the Lord Jesus or do they leave thinking about how much fun they had? Are we trying to entice children with a wonderful program or is the simplicity of the gospel proclaimed? When the ladies and men's fellowship meet, do we leave thinking about how good the speaker was? Or do we leave with our thoughts guided towards our Saviour? When I preach on a Sunday or a Wednesday, am I more interested in hearing how pe well people thought I preached? Or am I more interested in that the people of this congregation leave, having their minds lifted to lofty places and thinking of the Saviour? This is the battle of every believer's heart. Our very purpose in this life is not to make ourselves as a church fellowship look better, but to make Christ great. He is our greatest treasure. And the passage considers, this passage before us, considers the work of the Spirit of God in the believer's life. Paul is teaching through verses 6 to 9 that God's wisdom is hidden from the world and therefore is revealed by the Spirit of God. You see, I want you to notice four things in this passage this evening. And the first of them, well, you know them all now. Um, but the first of those is this. Worldly wisdom comes to nothing. Worldly wisdom comes to nothing. Look at verse 6. This is what Paul writes. How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. Paul says the wisdom of this world comes to naught. It comes to nothing. That's the first reason why you and I as God's people should never go to the world for advice in this life. 
It's the first reason why we should never depend on human wisdom because God's wisdom, true wisdom, divine truth is hidden from the world. God's wisdom is only revealed to those who are truly mature and who are truly wise. We're going to explore what Paul means by that opening phrase in just a few moments. We speak wisdom among those that are perfect. Look again, he says, we speak wisdom. Well, when we come to this place, we do speak wisdom. When we meet here in Greens Baptist, we do speak wisdom because it's not what we talk about as humans, but we come to meet around God's word. We speak wisdom among those who are perfect. Those who are perfect, what Paul is talking about is those who are saved. And when we gather together, we don't meet around our own words or a preacher's words. We gather around the word of God. Therefore, Paul can confidently say, and so can we, we can say we speak wisdom among those that are perfect because the wisdom that we speak of in this church fellowship is only grounded in the word of God. The Greek word here for perfect is the word teleos, which has been translated in other places of the New Testament as the word complete. And really what it's saying is that the wisdom of God is for those who are spiritually complete in Christ. Don't we sometimes sing on a Sunday evening, complete in him? And Paul is saying, those of you, uh, those who have come to the full spiritual life in Christ, those who have been inaugurated into the church of Christ, have been given the life of God, and therefore have access to the wisdom of God. Remember Paul previously in this letter, has made it clear that there's two different classes of people, spiritually speaking, in the world. There are those who are saved and those who are lost. He's made that very clear through chapters 1 and 2. And so what has to take place for someone to change their mind about the Bible being foolishness to the Bible being the wisdom of God is there has to be a supernatural act of grace whereby God's Holy Spirit changes the perception of a person. So what is previously foolishness to that man becomes wisdom and the power of God. That's what happens at the point of salvation. Those who are saved is who Paul is talking about in verse 6. And he speaks of those who are perfect, those who are mature. Well then, why is he talking to the Corinthians like this? If they're saved, why does he need to be telling them that you need to be listening to those who are mature? Why is he saying that? Well, simply because they weren't living up to their name. They ought to have been mature in their faith, not looking to the wisdom of the world, human wisdom, which is foolishness to God. They should have been looking for divine wisdom, but they weren't. And they were allowing the church to influence, and they were allowing the church to get in. And it comes back to that old illustration that when the boat is in the water, there's no problems. But when the water is in the boat, there's big problems. And when the Christian is in the world, there's no problems. But when the world is in the Christian, there's big problems. Paul says to them, don't be running to the world as children of light to get wisdom. Because God's wisdom is hidden from the world. You know, isn't that enlightening for us today? Especially for those who have to interact with the world and work in schools. To know that the worldview, whatever the world perspective on things in our age of immorality is, whatever their perception of God and faith and religion and the church is, whether it changes from age to age, it doesn't really matter. Because ultimately the worldview of our age and even the worldview of the people in Paul's age 
They're opposed, completely opposed to divine truth and the revealed wisdom of God. And we must remember that. Always be careful what you hear promoted in the world listening to it because most of the time it will be contrary to God's wisdom and God's word. The wisest men in human society will never understand the wisdom of God. Their wisdom will come to naught. It will come to nothing. That's why it's foolishness to try and assimilate the world into the church. To bring society and try and bring the church up to date with the world and to the way the world thinks. That, that's the bringing worldly wisdom into the church. And that's what they were doing in Corinth. And it was bringing division, not unity. You know, there's too many churches these days. They're looking for things and they're asking the question, does it work? Rather than, is it the truth? And may this church fellowship always stand in the word of God. May we always be found in our knees pleading that the Lord would guide us. Pleading that the Lord would show us where we're doing things, where we're thinking to ourselves, does it work? We need to teach God's truth. You know, there's too many places that are too busy doing things to say, does it work? Does it bring people in? Too many pastors I hear saying, well, how many had you in on Sunday? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because the truth of the matter is, what, it ma what matters is that the truth is being taught faithfully in a church fellowship. Not that we're doing things to increase our numbers and look good. That's not the purpose of the church of Christ. Well, what faculties do men and women of this world use to, to gain human wisdom? What does the world use to make them wise? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 9 of our passage. Listen to what it says. It says this. It says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This is one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted verses in the whole of Scripture. It has got absolutely nothing to do with heaven. It's got absolutely nothing to do with the future or the eternal state. It's more got to do with us today. And what is the believers today? Why are believers to gain the wisdom of God? Well, he, Paul writes, it's written, he's quoting Isaiah. I have not seen, then he comes back to Corinthians, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. What are the human faculties of learning? The ear, the eye, and the heart. And that word heart is the Greek word that also means mind. We could say eye, ear and the mind. That's how men and women learn. The human faculties alone, that they, they can bring wisdom to themselves. But Paul is saying that really all these things, if we were to use them alone, we'll never be able to perceive the mysteries of God. The scientist can use his eye and he can observe experiments and he can observe nature, but he will never just with his eye it will never just with his eye will it bring him to the wisdom of God. A philosopher can listen to arguments of men and the philosophies of men and theories and the hypotheses of men, but he will never just through listening or even through looking learn the, of the wisdom of God. 
the mathematician can use his mind, a theologian even can use his mind, but that alone to think with the mind will never bring a man, woman, boy or girl to the knowledge of the wisdom of God. The senses alone that men use for human wisdom cannot perceive God's wisdom. Neither can a man know God externally. We have evidence of evidences of God's God in the lights of the sky, the stars, the trees, nature. But a man can't really know God even through nature. Nature doesn't see it. And the theme of this section very much is that the wisdom of this world comes to nothing. So how does one person end up with godly wisdom? Well, the second point, it's on the screen already, is that this Holy Spirit, Reveals it. Look at verse 10. It says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yes, the deep things of God. Spiritual maturity cannot be found by human wisdom because salvation is not found in human wisdom. These Corinthians started off in the Spirit of God. They were saved. So the Spirit of God had done that work of convicting, pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior for sin and making God the Lord of their lives. And therefore, the Spirit of God had done a work in their lives already. But then they were trying to mature in their Christian faith through human wisdom. And that's not possible because they weren't saved by human wisdom in the first place. And God has revealed unto us by his spirit the wisdom of his own heart. A man cannot come to God on his own, but praise God, God has come and revealed himself to man. Look at the key word. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. The spirit of God has invaded the world. The territory of man, the spirit of God has saturated this world with the gospel of God and the knowledge of Christ and has shown God to men. That's what it is. God has been revealed to men. And this is tremendous. God's wisdom is revealed to us through his spirit. And here when we read that word revealed. It's where we get that word revelation from. And that's what the Bible is. It's the revelation of God to us. The Bible is God's written revelation. And notice that it says the spirit searcheth all things. Psalm 131 tells us, tells us that you can't escape from the spirit of God. That you can't escape from the presence of God. Therefore man is without excuse. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He can absolutely delve into all things and all people's minds and the dark places and the chambers where polluted things hold empire or the soul. He knows. But not only can he delve into the things of this universe, praise God, he can plumb the fathom of the depths of the deepness of the mind of God. That's amazing. The deep things of God are known by the Spirit of God because he is God. And so when we read verse 10, that the Spirit searches, this is the function of the Spirit, searching the depths of the knowledge of God and collecting the revelation of God to be deposited into our hands. It's an amazing truth. 
Paul gives us an illustration in verse 11 of this. He compares it to a person who has self-consciousness and the man knows the thoughts of man and the spirit in the man knows the man. That's self-consciousness. No one but a man's spirit can know what passes through his mind what, and what passes through his mind and what occupies his mind can truly shows what he longs for, his desires, his hopes, his ambitions, his fears. And therefore the Spirit of God is the one who knows the deep realities and purposes and plans of God and who perfectly knows the wisdom of God. And so he is the, the Spirit is the one searching all the depth of the true wisdom of God and then reveals them to us. That's revelation. So in other words, when you pack up your Bible, you pack up a miracle. Because every single one of those words is God breathed. Inspired by the Spirit of God. There's God's revelation today. If you ever hear a preacher stand up and say, God, give me a new revelation, you turn him off. Because God has revealed all that he needs to reveal through his words today. This is the complete revelation of God's word to our hearts. Spirit inspired. And when you pick up your Bible, you have in your hand the revelation of the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit disclosing to you all the deep, secret things known to him. Revelation is the act of God by which he makes known to us what otherwise would be unknown, totally undiscoverable and unavailable. And God does this in a free and voluntary act of love. And, he br- and that's how he brings redeemed humanity to salvation. That's how he redeems humanity to salvation and sanctification and glorification for his own eternal glory. The the Spirit produces the revelation, and that revelation's content is found in Scripture, which is before us. Of course, we know that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God, isn't he? He's inspired these pages, he's given us the Word of God, and that's why he knows what the mind of God really is. And he used human agents. He used the Apostle Paul and James and Peter. And he used other writers in the Old Testament. The prophets and all sorts of men and apostles, prophets wrote the word of God. And although it's human men writing with human words, it's the pure word of God. It's a revelation of God from God. Now, how could the Corinthians be proud of their own wisdom? When they had been given the wisdom of God from the hand of God, which was the word of God. And now, of course, these men, they, they, could, they could get this. And, the, you know, the, the problem was that these men and these people and these leaders in Corinthians, if they could understand this, and if we could have understand this in their day, wisdom is something that is not acquired godly wisdom it's not acquired godly wisdom has been revealed do you see the difference as we read god's word we don't acquire wisdom it's revealed to us we don't need to go searching for wisdom in this world godly wisdom is found in the pages that are before us worldly wisdom comes to nothing the Spirit of God reveals godly wisdom. But I want you to see thirdly that it's the Holy Spirit who teaches. Look at verses 12 and 13. This is what we read there. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words, words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The first thing that we must note is that the Spirit of God indwells believers. The very moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God entered your body. That's the baptism of the Spirit. And he made your body his temple. And the verse tells us, now we have received, verse 12, now we have received, and then on down, we have received the Spirit which is of God. He baptized you at the very moment, at the very moment of salvation into the body of Christ. He sealed you, we read of that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and he'll remain with you. The Lord Jesus promised that when the Spirit of God came, he would teach us and guide us into all truth. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to teach us the children of God. So often that's when we pray, why we pray when we come to the word of God for the spirit of God to be our teacher. And the reason for this is our confidence is that when someone opens up the scriptures, that the spirit of God delights, if you like, in illuminating scripture to reveal to us godly wisdom from the father and to lead us to a greater understanding of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the word of God is proclaimed, God the Holy Spirit communicates through the written page. Isn't that a wonderful miracle? That God the Holy Spirit, each time we open this book, communicates through the written page to the individual who listens. And the first time this happened, when we truly listened, we were convicted of sin and we sought Christ as our Savior because the Spirit of God is the saving agency. And now as God's people, as we read his word each day and hear it preached, the Spirit instructs me and causes me to bow to the authority of the Scriptures. The Word of God is taught by the Spirit of God. Now as we consider this line of thinking, we see the purpose of the Spirit of God is to bring clarity and not confusion. That's important. It's to bring clarity and not confusion. And we will think a lot on the Holy Spirit as we go through the pages of Corinthians. There are many, many things where there's confusion among these verses in Corinthians and there's no need. Absolutely no need. And God, the Holy Spirit, as we read through scripture, aids us in our understanding and brings clarity, not confusion. Throughout our series, as we go through in the Lord's will, we'll be reminded of that fact over and over again. And really, as we come to close tonight, and we must move on to our final point, we can see that worldly wisdom comes to nothing. When we trust human wisdom, when we turn to the world, even as the church, it's going to lead us to nothing and one day it will be gone forever. But we need to turn to God's word where the Holy Spirit has revealed the final revelation of his word. Where the Spirit of God, as we read this revelation, teaches us. But then as we read it, the Holy Spirit, he illumines the pages. And he causes us to mature in Christ. What is it that the Spirit does for us? To illumine and help us mature. Well, what is it that it leads to? Well 
we need to jump to the very last line of the chapter. What is the Spirit's purpose? Well, it's that we would have the mind of Christ. Paul describes for us the natural person in these verses, the unbeliever. And then he speaks of, in verse 15, he speaks of he that is spiritual. Wouldn't that be a lovely line to be attached to your life? He or she that is spiritual. Well, it says he who is spiritual has the mind of Christ. To put it plainly tonight, when God opens your eyes, you're going to see things that you've never seen before in the scriptures. You're going to hear things that you've never heard before. You're going to know things that you never knew before you were saved. Because God the Holy Spirit teaches you and causes the word of God to be that light to your path. And it illumines and God's word is to help and to, to help you mature in your spiritual walk. Remember no man can receive anything except it be given to him from heaven. And the reason I remind, and it's this for that very reason, is the reason we so often I remind you as we come into services here at Grange that you would ask the Lord to speak to you before the service. That you would pray, oh God, speak to me today. God, help me understand today. Lord, let me, let me see something supernatural. Illuminate my heart from the pages of scripture and help me to know your will for my life. And you know, when you pray that, praise God, he will answer. Now listen. Another thing I want to say about this illumination and maturing. And with this I'm going to close. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to study God's word. It's not just that I'm going to pray. And no longer study. Do the odd devotion and the spirit of God will do the rest and illumine the pages. No, that's not biblical. The Bible says very clearly. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that word rightly dividing means cutting it straight. You see, dear believer tonight, when you apply yourself to Bible study and you say, dear Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things in thy law. God sees and God sees your sincerity and God will open your eyes and God will show you those wonderful unsearchable riches of Christ in his word. What are we to take from 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Well, let me say first of all that it's the word of God that people need to hear who are in darkness. It's the word of God through which the spirit of God will speak to the unbeliever's life. And never you think that you need to have a method or never you think that there needs to be some way that you can entice people and never think that you need to go into debate with people. Paul clearly teaches in 1 Corinthians 2 that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who saves and it's the Spirit of God who is the saving agency. You left Christ high. Did the Lord Jesus not say of himself and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself? May we always preach Christ in each of the works in this church fellowship. You see, the psalmist said to the Lord in Psalm 119 and 130, it's the entrance of your word that giveth light and it giveth understanding to the simple. I wonder, does the word of God have central place in all that happens here at Greens? If we want to have see people one for Christ, then first and foremost, they need to hear the word of God and they need to hear of Christ.
In this chapter, we see the teaching of the gospel. We see its preaching. We see its instrument of understanding, which is the Holy Spirit. We see its revelation. It's re- it, and it reveals God to man. And it reveals man to himself. It shows man as a sinner. And it shows the crux of it all, which is the cross of Christ. And apart from this gospel, there is no message or meaning to life. And apart from the cross, there is no meaning to the gospel. And I praise God for the day that the Spirit of God convicted my soul. And my eyes were opened to my sin in the crosswork of Calvary. And I say in conclusion, as we consider the first two chapters of this book, God forbid that we should glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow in thy presence this evening and we come to you after hearing from your precious word. We thank you, Father, that the pages before us are spirit-breathed and inspired. We thank you, Father, that it is the revelation of God to man. It tells us what we need to know about ourselves, that we are guilty sinners, that we were once on our way to a lost eternity. It tells us of our wonderful Savior, the one who went to the cross and gave his life as a ransom for many. It tells us that today in trusting in the cross and having repented of sin, that we are now children of God and part of your family. It reveals to us that we're now heaven bound. And Father, we thank you that as we come to this book, that we don't come needing to apply our human wisdom to it. But we thank you that the Spirit of God is here with us to teach us, to aid us in our understanding, and to cause these pages to come to light, to illuminate them. And as we study it's how the Spirit of God it causes us to mature, as we come as babes desiring the milk of the word, we thank you, Father, that as we mature, that we want to learn more and more, and we want to search deeper and deeper into these pages. We thank you that, Father, that he's, this book before us is a well that is so deep that we could never, ever grasp it all. We thank you, Father, that as the deeper we get into it, the more we see of you. And, Father, may that lead us to worship you more and more. Father, we thank you this evening that indeed you sent the Saviour to go to the cross of Calvary. We thank you, Father, that you have left your spirit here on earth to do your work, to convince men of sin, to convict and to save. And so, Father, this evening we bow in your presence and we thank you, Father, for the indwelling spirit of God in each of our lives. And Father, we pray that indeed as we live, that we would be reminded that our bodies are a temple of the Spirit of God. And that, Father, indeed, that we would be instruments that would be able to be used by your almighty hand. We do pray this evening with the hymn that we have sang, Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life in you. 
Father, be with us now as we come to our time of prayer. May we continue to know your presence and your hand upon us. And we ask this for your glory and in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.